0: As I said last Sunday, during the summer, Colleen and I are doing two sermon series. I'm going to do one on our place in God's world, and Colleen will be doing a series on the meaning of communion. I like the title, Our Place in God's World. Uh, Often, at least I fall into the trap of thinking God's place in my world, or... um, other's place in my world, as if the world revolves around me. Uh, our place in God's world is God. We, the world revolves around God, and we are just a piece of God's world. So our place in God's world. Last week I talked about our place in God's love, which is unconditional. This week is our place in God's world as we relate to our neighbor. There are lots of texts I could have chosen for how we relate to our neighbor. Matthew 25 comes immediately to mind uh, in Loving the Least of These. But I thought what it comes down to is our love of our enemy. To love our friends is pretty easy, it's, it's almost impossible not to love what we like. And Jesus says, you know, don't even the tax collectors and the Gentiles do that. I mean, everybody loves what they like. The trick is to love our enemies. Who is or what is an enemy? Well, an enemy is the one who's out to hurt us, who's out to harm us, who's out to kill us. An enemy is um, the one we fear. Sometimes, you know, we have to agree that God seems to be our enemy because sometimes we think God is out to hurt us, God is out to harm us. As I thought about enemies, my enemy might not be out to kill me, but my enemy irritates the daylights out of me. An enemy, in this case, could be our nemesis. It's the person who doesn't listen to us. It's the person who always gets under our skin, who always contradicts us. You know, when I think of enemies, um, sometimes my enemy is the person I want to disappear it's the person that I want to harm. It's the person that I want to have taught a lesson. It's the person that I want to be, have repaid the way they treat me now. I would never be uh, evil enough to want to repay my enemy, but I would be delighted if somebody else would. <laughs> yeah. now, two things that, that might be contradictory about enemies, but, but I've found them helpful is one, um, when William Sloan Coffin reminded us in a sermon, we are enjoined to love our enemies. We love them as enemies. We don't pretend they're something they're not. We don't pretend or are ignorant of what's going on. Remember the sermon where he said, Gerald Ford is the enemy. And I was just really amazed that a preacher would be that blunt You know, Gerald Ford is the enemy. No, he's our president. Um, Coffin didn't agree with with what Ford was doing in in terms of the poor and in terms of the climate, and and he thought Ford was the enemy. Now, there was no doubt in my mind that he loved Ford. That's the difference. He loved his enemy, although he disagreed with his enemy. The other thing that I have found helpful in loving enemies, St. Martin Luther King said, No one becomes our enemy unless we first think that they are our enemy. So it's our thinking that makes a person into our enemy. And King said, I will not let someone become my enemy because I don't want to turn my identity over to hate. Somebody is only an enemy if we decide they are our enemy. Now what I've come to understand about my enemies and how many people treat enemies is that the first thing we have to do with an enemy is dehumanize that enemy. Dehumanize that person, objectify them, make them subhuman, reduce them to a body part, reduce them to a slur. Um, you know, in war, you know, we, it's almost impossible to kill another human being. In order to kill another human being, we have to make them subhuman. So we're not killing a German, we're killing a kraut. We do this with ethnic roots. We call them names. We do this with women. We reduce them to body parts. I have really not witnessed a video of of an execution but it used to be that when a person was executed, a bag was put over their head, a sack was put over their head, so that a human being was not being killed. A thing was being killed. There's an article on NPR Tuesday morning. They talked about the problem in the United States and probably the world is the dehumanization of people. And you got to admit it, it really is widespread. Um, The name calling, uh, the labeling, people are being dehumanized. And it's easy then to abuse a dehumanized person or dismiss a dehumanized person. So, in dealing with our enemies, the first step is to work at humanizing them. Part of that is realizing that that thing is my brother or my sister. As irritated as I get with my sister, I'm always aware that she's my sister and I've never made her into a thing or called her a name. The story from Genesis of the two brothers, Cain and Abel, is a story of brothers. And it's remarkable how often in those 16 verses, The narrator or Cain or God says your brother Abel, your brother Abel. Where is your brother Abel? Your brother Abel's blood is crying to to me from the ground. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain took his brother Abel out into the field. It's trying to make very clear that that enemy is our brother that person we fear that person we want to diminish is our brother or our sister Genesis is a story of brothers Cain and Abel Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers and maybe the whole Bible after the fourth chapter of Genesis is nothing more than a lesson repeated lessons on how we are to treat our brothers and sisters. Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer is no. He's not his brother's keeper. He's his brother's brother. To say I'm my brother's keeper or my sister's keeper (coughs) implies I'm superior. And that's part of the problem. We approach our brother or sister on uneven ground. We're superior. Other part of humanizing our brother or sister is to be aware of my sinfulness. Certainly I regard them as sinners. That's why they're my enemy but I have to regard myself as a sinner. That that's our common ground. As long as I'm perfect and they're not, we will never be on common ground. It's our sinfulness that's our common ground. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Pretty easy to prove. Augustine said, never fight evil as if it is something that arose from outside of you. And isn't that what we do? We fight it as if it arose from outside, it's separate from us. And Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil is not between people, it's down the middle of every human heart. Clarence Jordan talks about four stages of human development in terms of how we relate to our neighbor and how we relate to our enemy. The first is unlimited retaliation. If My neighbor throws a beer can on my front lawn, I get a truckload of manure and dump it on his. You know, that's unlimited retaliation. That's the basis of war. That's the basis of nuclear war, to be sure. Kill them all. Destroy them all. The next stage of human development is limited retaliation throw a beer can on my yard, I throw a beer can on your yard. Often it isn't limited, though. Sometimes it spills over in what we call collateral damage, where more people are hurt than we had planned. The next stage in human development, which is A move up is limited love. I love my tribe, but not others. I love Ohio State fans, but not others. I love white people, but not others. I love straights, but not others. In a sense, that's the law in Uganda. Love straights, but not others. Love your friends and hate your enemies. I've heard David and Roscoe talk several times, and it never dawned on me that if this church were in Uganda, many of us, all of us, would be considered criminals because either we're gay or we know gays and haven't turned them in. Think about it. This whole church would be criminalized in Uganda because of love your friends and hate your enemies. Limited love. That's the love that's easy. Then the last stage of development is unlimited love. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the good and the evil. God's love is for all. In Morning Blend, when Sherry read that verse, said that verse, Roscoe started applauding and I thought here's a man who has had to flee his country because of who he is people wanted to kill him literally and his pride march was fleeing for his life was going to refugee camps in Kenya and finally finding his way to refuge, literally, in Columbus. If there's anybody that should love his friends and hate his enemies, it's Roscoe. And he applauded the line that love is for all. It's a superhuman strength. I read a book um, this week written by a, a pastor who was sexually abused by her minister when she was in high school. And the book was a series of chapters, kind of case studies from people in the churches that she served, of biblical passages that really aren't helpful to someone who's been sexually abused. And then also biblical passages that can be understood in a different light that actually are about sexual abuse. And she talked about how victims are dehumanized, objectified, treated as body parts, Her last chapter began with the story of her sitting at home one night and receiving a call from a woman in the church. And she said um, that her nephew, who was also a member of the church, had just been arrested and taken to jail for abusing a young girl. And the pastor said, I immediately hated that man. She called him Charlie. I immediately hated Charlie. And I saw him as subhuman. And I felt he had no right to live. And she said, but I was his pastor. So I went to the jail to visit Charlie. And it was one of the hardest things I had ever done to sit there with the glass separating us and to talk to him on the phone to this person that I, wanted, that I talked to about love, and I wanted him to disappear. And she said, It is really hard to love your enemies. To love your enemies is superhuman. And it begins with prayer because we need more than just our strength to do it. And she said, To love your enemies is to suffer because you don't want to do it. And she said, I got an idea of what God's love is like the love that loves all. She said, I realized that I had to work at loving Charlie because the hatred that was in my life was becoming toxic and poisonous and destroying me. And I had to get rid of it. And she concluded by saying, I realize that loving my enemy is a lifelong chore and will probably have to continue after I die. Those stages of human development have been labeled with words of human development. That unlimited retaliation is the infant stage. It's the infantile stage of human development. And when you think about it, it is infantile. Limited retaliation is childhood. And it often is childish because we think in terms of eye for an eye. You did it to me, I'll do it to you. And the stage of limited love is adolescent. And it is often the way high schoolers and junior high kids think. I love my crowd, but nobody else can be at the table. And the last stage is maturity. Unlimited love is maturity. It's what God's like. When Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, the word there means mature. We must be mature. It isn't easy. Sometimes it's hard. But what are we? Are we infants? Or are we mature? The mature love loves all. A rabbi was once uh, asking his students, when the night became day, what was the precise moment that the light dawned? What was the precise moment when darkness became light? And a student said, is it when we can tell the difference between a dog and a cow? And the rabbi said, no. And another student said, is it the di- time when we can, it's light enough when we can tell the difference between a dog and a cat? No. And the rabbi said, the precise moment when the light dawns is when we can look in the face of any human being and see a brother or a sister. That's when the light dawns, and we are human. May it be so. Amen.